Hello there. You're listening to the Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. And we'll also go over some of this year's Emmy nominations. This is also our first episode of Flick Picks, a series where one of us will select movies for the other co-hosts to watch for the week. And this week, I have chosen two films for Dylan. So let's get dirty while we put the pedal to the metal, because my picks are Mud and Speed. Let's start off with some news. We have some trailer talk to start off. Unfortunately, we've only seen one of these three trailers. Let's start <laughs> off with The Woman King, which is one of the ones that I have not seen. Have you seen this trailer, Ryan? I sure did, because it has Viola Davis in it, and I'm yeah. a Viola Davis fan. So I'm like, I'll watch that trailer. Was it good? It's all right. I'm I'm still interested in it. I'm definitely going to see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think she's going to be great in it. She was like doing the speech. That was narrating over mm-hmm. the action stuff that was going on. John Boyega is also in it, yeah. which is cool. Um, cool. So, yeah, but I don't know. We'll have to see how it how it actually plays out. But I am interested in the story that they go that they got going on, and there were some cool like training scenes that they got. Mm-hmm. So I'm down for it. I'll see it. The next trailer we have is for Amsterdam, which is the new David O. Russell film coming up this year with Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, and John David Washington being the three leads. I did get to see this one several times because it was playing in the movie theater when I went and saw Thor. Um, I'm not that excited for it, I'll be honest with you. I really like David O. Russell. I really like American Hustle. I just, this one just seems like too much. Like too much is happening. <laughs> right. There was, it was pretty in your face a lot going on so yeah i'll i've haven't seen too many of his films i haven't seen american hustle he did silver linings playbook right he did yeah yeah i enjoyed that one did um, you see the fighter no i have not me neither <laughs> okay nice so i just yeah. i figured if anyone had it would be you since you like wrestling and boxing and sports like that right um but yeah i haven't seen that so i don't know we'll have to see i'll probably i'll just for the cast alone, I mean, it's stacked. So I'll it is. go ahead and see it for that reason. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in terms of his other movies, I don't really know if this is like in line with exactly how they all play out. So yeah, yeah I can't really judge too much on whether it's a departure, same old thing, who knows. But it'll you be should on watch American Hustle, though. American Hustle is awesome. All right. I will put it on the list. Nice. Okay. And then the final trailer. You didn't see this one? I did not. That's crazy. Well, I kept seeing it, it on IMDb, but I just never got around <laughs> to it. It's for Rings of Power, the new Lord of the Rings uh, television show on Amazon Prime. And I just I just kept putting it off. I just kept being like, oh, I'll watch the trailer later. Watch the trailer later. Now it's today and we're recording and I have not seen the trailer. Tragic. Big boomer. Well, I did see it and I will say, visually, it looks really good. Good. Like we've been seeing 
like a lot of the Marvel shows lately, Disney Plus shows and whatnot, we've been seeing mm -hmm. these things that they're like trying to make it movie level, but the yeah. budget not quite there. Mm -hmm. They definitely were using all the money that they threw into the budget for this one. Nice. It looks good. It's um, good to hear. In terms of the like story and whatnot, mm -hmm. we don't really have too much understanding of that yet. Uh, mm -hmm. And then there are some writing choices here, like just dialogue lines and Not the way the that they're like marketing them, which I don't know why they're doing, especially given the whole state of affairs with how the recent sequel trilogy was uh, received. Whatnot. Oh, it's feeling more like Hobbit than Lord of the Rings? No, I meant the sequel trilogy for the uh, Star Wars. Uh, but Hobbit, I mean, I never saw those. You never Hobbit saw the Hobbit trilogy. trilogy? No. It's a weird experience. It is? Well. Yeah, because the Lord of the Rings trilogy is just so good, and the Hobbit is still, like, it's good, but, you know, it's just not there. Gotcha. Yeah. But there was, you'll see when he gets the trailer, but there was a moment where uh, Galadriel, I believe her name is, yeah. says you haven't seen what i've seen and then the other guy goes why well, i've actually seen a lot and then she goes you have not seen what i have seen and i just don't know why they had to repeat that line twice i don't know why the guy had to interject in the first place well i know it, and they were trying to foreshadow and in the middle they had this like really cool image of i guess what she had seen which is pretty unsettling and frightening and whatnot um but yeah i don't know why they surrounded that with that conversation of them both trying to be like well mm -hmm. we've both we've seen a lot of things but she's like no no you haven't seen this thing it's like all you had to do is just have the one line you haven't seen what i've seen and then show us the cool image of mm -hmm. what she's seen and boom you got us you got a hook i know why you had to do the rest of it so the some of the marketing choices and like what they decided to show seemed a little odd but yeah. the visuals again looked good that's so, good yeah, again, that's coming out later this year. Will you, at this point, do you know whether or not you will be catching some of those episodes? I don't know, honestly. I mean, we're going to do a Lord of the Rings show later this year, so that's something to look forward to. So maybe having rewatched those movies, I'll be more into Lord of the Rings again and be amped to watch the show, but can't promise that I'm actually going <laughs> to watch it. Because I'm yeah, not sure. I, I mean, I've got so many shows on my slate right now because we're watching Better Call Saul right now and I still haven't even touched uh, season three of The Boys and I haven't watched the last episode of the new season of Stranger Things. It's just so much going on. Right. Television wise. And plus, I want to watch more movies. Like, I want to watch more older movies that I've never seen before because I haven't watched a good movie in a long time. Except for the two we're talking about today. <laughs> I was about to say, I was like, oh, no. I guess I failed in some of my picks. Um, but yeah, I agree with with what you're saying. Like, there's a lot of other shows I want to explore. Mm -hmm. But also, since it'd be a weekly thing, and it's not like having to go through a catalog of dozens and dozens of episodes. Yeah, it would definitely be easier. Um, yeah, it's much more digestible. Yep. So I might. I'm also anticipating I'll get into a Lord of the Rings phase once we go over that trilogy. Yeah, big facts. Um, Anyway, in other news, the Captain America 4 director has been named. It is Julius Onuf, who made Cloverfield Paradox and Loose, if you have seen Loose. I have not. I Did have not you either. see? No. You saw Paradox, though? Nope. Okay. <laughs> I didn't see either. So neither of us have any idea of whether this is great or bad or whatever, but... Yeah. I hear Loose was good. Yeah. 
I heard Paradox was not that good, but I heard it was bad. I heard it was awful for a variety of reasons. Um, since it's like part of a franchise and whatnot, mm-hmm. although this is also part of a franchise, but it's sort of a uh, a renewal of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll be interesting to see what they do. I also put Captain America and the White Wolf. That's not the title, but that's Should the only be. thing that will make it acceptable for them not putting that as the end title of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Is if they make it up here? Exactly. If they save it for the movie. Because it just made no sense to have it. There was Captain already America. a Captain America and the Winter Soldier. <laughs> I know. There was already one. Why would they? Uh, we will never let them. I will never let it down. <laughs> yeah. It's just dumb real. as fuck. In other news, uh, Only Murders in the Building, which is the Hulu show featuring Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez, has been renewed for a third season as its second season has just come out recently. And they've also garnered a few Emmy nominations. They are rolling that ball forward moving the train on and going for a season three i've seen the first season and uh it's pretty good i don't know if i will tune in for the second season because it's not like i love murder mysteries and stuff but it's not quite my cup of tea humor wise like it's not the same level of humor also the first season it as the end was approaching it became more and more predictable until it was like two episodes out from the end i was like i know exactly who the murderer is but that sucks Gotcha. But anyway, still, you know, it did. The first season does end on a cliffhanger that is kind of interesting, which kind of makes me want to tune back in for a season two. But only if I have time. So we'll see. I just forgot about it for so long until it finally came out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that's that's one I haven't watched either, but that I've had on my radar as mm-hmm. being something that I want to see because it seems fun. It's fun. It's it like is fun. And it is walk. interesting. And there is there's a really good joke in the first season that I think is hilarious featuring a celebrity, but you have to watch. Gotcha. Yeah. Don't want to spoil it here. Yeah. And finally, Duffer brothers are developing a death note series Mm -hmm. at Netflix. Interesting. In addition to their movie adaptation that they did a couple years back. Um, So that's curious that Netflix is trying yet again to go for it. Uh, And then this is in addition to their adaptation of Stephen King's the talisman. And that's in addition to doing season five of Stranger Things. Good for them. So, yeah, they're definitely... Is the Talisman yeah. also going to be a series? I'm not too sure about that one. Interesting. Nope. Probably. But I mean, I would guess. They're TV people, so yeah. yeah. It would make sense if they'd do that. All right. Yeah. Let's talk now about the Emmy nominations that came out this past week. We're not going to do every single category, just some of the ones that uh, are relevant for one reason or another, and then, of course, the major awards. So starting out with the Outstanding Drama, they have eight nominations. Eight. And in order alphabetically, Better Call Saul, Euphoria, Ozark, Severance, Squid Game, Stranger Things, Succession, and Yellow Jackets. Mm-hmm. What do you think about this lineup? Any snubs, any surprises, any ones that you're rooting for? Although I think I'll know the answer. So, I mean, you can guess. What do you think I'm rooting for? Well, you do like Succession, but did you finish? You did I didn't watch, watch the... season three of Succession. Oh, well, then it's got to be Better Call Saul. It is Better Call Saul. <laughs> it's just it, they've never won outstanding drama. They never won. Uh, they, I think I think they've only been nominated for Emmys. Like they've never won any Emmy ever That's... in this entire run. I think they've been nominated for 45 Emmys, if I'm right. Wow. Let me check. Because I remember, I know every time they have a season, I know Bob Odenkirk is nominated and he never wins, which I think is a travesty because there was at least one year in there 
at some point where I was like, he's definitely better than everybody else. Like when Succession first started, I was like, yeah, of course you're going to give it to Brian Cox. That's no surprise. Mm-hmm. But like before Succession, it was like, you know, you could throw Bob Odenkirk a bone. He's definitely better than a, a lot of these actors he's nominated against. I feel like he deserves the win because he does a good job. But uh, let me see. Oh, God, I got a new phone and the IMDb on this phone is different than the IMDb on the iPhone, which makes me angry. Can't fucking find the award section. What the fuck? Tragic. It's yeah, fucking that would it is a travesty that they haven't won anything at this point. Certainly yeah. though, since it's in its final years, it'll it'll get something. Yeah, if it's its last year and it's such a a pivotal part of television, this whole breaking bad universe, you know, they should give it something. Especially because I hear the newest season is crazy good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They did also do the thing, which a lot of these have done now, where It'll get nominated this year for like first half of season six. That's oh, currently God airing. damn it. Next year, they'll also have a chance for like the remainder of season six. So, yeah. God damn it. It doesn't happen I, this year. You can get it next year. Okay. It sounds like you're having trouble with it. We'll never. Well, what happened is, is I accidentally clicked on an, an episode. The reason I couldn't find the awards is because on the IMDb app, I clicked on an episode from season five and I saw a picture from that episode and it fucking spoiled it for me. So oh, now no. I got spoiled from season five because I haven't seen season five yet, which sucks. But it's something to look forward to because it's cool. But yeah, they've been nominated for 44 Emmys and they've won none. Wow. Which is crazy. Hopefully that'll I think Bob Odenkirk deserves a win. Agreed. Uh, but yeah, also, I've, I've seen Euphoria, the newest season, and I've which seen... Is crazy that this year got nominated. Yeah. And it was a much more mediocre season. The first season should have been nominated, but it wasn't. Very not. true. So. And then Severance, I saw that season, and I've seen almost all of Stranger Things, but I have not seen Yellow Jackets. I oh, and I've seen Squid Game. I have not seen Yellow Jackets. I have not seen Ozark. I have not seen the latest season of Better Call Saul, and I have not seen uh, the latest season of Succession. Yeah. But it's a pretty stacked category. I mean, this this is all pretty good television. Like of the things I've seen, I've liked all of them. There has not been a, a stinker in the group, which is very impressive. Yeah, and it's a big variety too, which I think yeah. is super cool. Uh, there is no This Is Us, and that was in its last year, so that's great. Yeah, which is very sad. Uh, and no Yellowstone either, which is surprising because it's a big like cable hit, big middle America show. Oh, yeah. But yet, still not been nominated. Hair is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and- we're moving on to the next category, the next big one, Outstanding Comedy. We have, again, in alphabetic order... Abbott Elementary, Barry, Kirby Enthusiasm, Hacks, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Only Murders in the Building, Ted Lasso, and What We Do in the Shadows. It should definitely go to Barry. Barry always wins. I'm telling you. Bill Hader has won every time he's nominated. The show has won every time it's nominated. It hasn't been nominated in a while because it's been like two years since season two came out. But for both season one and season two, it won Best Comedy and Best Actor for Bill Hader. And I think it should do it again because... I mean, this season is fucking nuts. It's crazy. Bill Hader gives like one of the greatest acting performances I've ever seen ever in this season of television. It's insane. It's also crazy that it's nominated for outstanding comedy because the show over its progression has become more and more dramatic. And when you watch season three, it's just not a comedy anymore. Like there's no humor whatsoever. (laughs) It's just not funny anymore. There's there's like one joke every episode, and then the rest of it is just super, super heavy, dark stuff. 
it's crazy. It should the next season if they keep doing this trend should just be outstanding drama. Like it's nuts. It probably will because they did that with Orange is a New Black. Yeah, it would like switch between categories based on the season. So yeah, I guess we'll see it switch over to drama. I'm surprised they threw it in comedy this time because it's it's it is like darker than Severance and I think darker than Euphoria. Like it's dark and darker than Stranger Things. I would argue. Like it is heavy is it shit. Still. 30 minute episodes that is true yes it is i think that might be the reason that why. is definitely There's some sort why. of old thing or like if it's 30 minutes it's like i think they're trying to do away time. with that but and they definitely like are more lenient these days than they used to be but it's still definitely like an idea in their head that if it's a half hour it's definitely a comedy and if it's an hour it's definitely a drama but that's right. stupid for sure but yeah shout definitely out to very dark abbott elementary which yeah. is a network show that got in here because now it's it's been going this way for years, but I mean, everything is a streaming show at this point. Yeah. But Abbott Elementary, able to make it in. Uh, so that's awesome. That's yeah. a show that I also want to pick up. I watched it. You watched it? I watched it? the season. Yeah, I've seen the season of Abbott Elementary. It's good. You enjoy it? Nice. Yeah. Not, it's not 100% my style of comedy, but there's definitely some bits in there that I like. It's just, it's a sitcom, you know? It's a straight mm-hmm. up sitcom. None of the other ones on here except Curb Your Enthusiasm are sitcoms. This one's a straight up sitcom. Oh, what we do in the shadows is also probably a sitcom, but I haven't seen it. Gotcha. But I've yeah. seen the new season of Marvel's Mrs. Maisel. It's my least favorite season so far, so I don't think it should win. I haven't seen Hacks, haven't seen Curb, but Curb was always nominated. Uh, and I have seen Ted Lasso. I have seen Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso is also great. That should be near the top of your list for TV. Is Ted Lasso and Barry? Will do. Sure. Barry should be gonna get watched at some point and we'll oh do show god, dude. at some point oh my god for season four we should but dude you gotta watch barry it's insane how good it is it's insane it just I gets promise. better and better and better it's already it's on the list it's secured i'm just gonna watch it when it gets closer to the new season yeah but yeah uh in terms of outstanding limited series we have inventing anna pam and tommy the white lotus dope sick and the dropout haven't seen any of these, but I suspect White Lotus is going to end up taking it. I agree. I have seen some of Dope Sick, but I haven't seen all of it, and I haven't seen any of the other ones. Gotcha. All right. I don't and... know why the White Lotus is a limited series, too. I guess because it's an anthology, kind of, because they're doing a season two, but it's with different characters. So I Which guess I... it's an anthology. It's still, I don't really like how they can do that. But Yeah, where they, they say it's a limited series, and then they get the nomination for it, and then they say, oh, but now we're going to make a season two. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And it's like, Although, bro. to be fair, White Lotus... Like it was intended to be that, and then they're like, "Oh, this is pretty cool, so maybe we'll do it." And they announced that way before yeah. this, yeah. so I don't know I why should, they didn't switch I feel like it I over should to watch that. I feel like I would like it. That's on my list as well. It's something I'm like, I could yeah. check that out. None um, of the other ones really are. I did like Dope Sick though, but I don't really care about inventing Anna, Pam, and Tommy or the dropout. Yeah, not at all. But the White Lotus uh, seems interesting. It does. All right, now for lead actor in a drama, we have Jason Bateman for Ozark, Brian Cox for Succession. Lee Jung Jae for Squid Game, Bob Odenkirk for Better Call Saul, yeah. Adam, Adam Scott for Severance, and Jeremy Strong for Succession. I feel like the Succession team is going to take it because they always do, but it's a toss-up between Bob Odenkirk and Jason Bateman for me because it's their last time doing it. Right. Remember, it Bob, Odenkirk Bob Odenkirk will be more. nominated again yeah. next year, but for Jason Bateman, for sure, this is the last time to be nominated for lead actor for Ozark, and I don't know if he ever won for acting. He did not. He did not. And, you know, dads love that show. 
It's true. So we'll see if they're going to award him or if they're going to go to a succession yeah. team yet again. Yeah. Uh, now for lead actress in drama. Jodie Comer, Killing Eve, Laura Linney, Ozark, Melanie Lenski for Yellow Jackets, Sandra Oh, Killing Eve, Reese Witherspoon for The Morning Show, and Zendaya coming off her win last time for Euphoria. I think they should give it to Zendaya again. Really? I think she's she was great, great in that one episode. The best episode of the season was the one that was yeah. just about her going through. I think that's town. enough for me. Maybe it's because I haven't seen any other stuff. <laughs> but I feel like we'll Killing Eve is definitely like winding down for me. The first season was great, but I couldn't really get into season two, and I can't imagine season three being like something that grabs me. I never liked the morning show. And Dude, it's I watched the one episode of it when I had the like Apple TV trial. Yeah. It's so bad. It's just wait. Actually, you bad. should watch all of season one because just wait until you get to the, the very last episode. Because if you look at IMDb, all the episodes are like 7.2, 7.3, like 8.1. Then the last episode is 9.5. And I was like, well, they got to end it on something crazy. Like if they're giving it that high of a rating, it has to be nuts. And I watched it and it's just so stupid. Like it's like it's it's not stupid. It's like it's supposed to be empowering, but like. It doesn't actually do anything. Right. Which sucks. But I I say give it to Zendaya. (laughs) Yeah, I I'm not pulling for anyone since I haven't seen anyone other than Zendaya as well. Um, But yeah, we'll see. Maybe we'll give it uh, to Laura Linney Ozark since it'll be her last time in that role. Mm hmm. And now our next category is lead actor in a comedy. Donald Glover for Atlanta, Bill Hader for Barry, Nicholas Holt for The Great, Steve Martin for Only Murders in the Building, Martin Short for Only Murders in the Building, and Jason Sudeikis for Ted Lasso. Bill Hader, 100%. Bill Hader, like, I mean, he won an Emmy in this category for the first season of Barry. And, like, the first season is, like, the worst season. Because it just, like, it keeps getting better and better, the seasons do. And, like, he still won an Emmy for that. He won an Emmy for the second season as well for lead actor. And I think it should... Keep going. I think you should win one every year. That'd be awesome. And because he, he's just so fucking good. He just keeps getting fucking better. I mean, uh, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. He should win. An avid Bill Hader supporter here. I love Bill Hader. He should yeah. win again. Three Emmys. Go for three. He's also mm-hmm. they've also won Best Comedy every time. Three for three. Three for three. We'll see if they can keep going. I don't know if they will. But again, if you're saying it's like a great season it's the best season they might be like if this isn't that much of comedy then maybe we shouldn't give it the best comedy stuff but again it's a weird thing that they had to keep it in the comedy category they really shouldn't have it should have been in drama yeah it's also crazy we see donald glover here atlanta didn't get nominated for outstanding comedy yeah that's nuts that is nuts but yeah now for lead actress comedy rachel brosnahan for marvelous mrs mazel Quinta Brunson for Abbott Elementary, Kaylee Cuoco for The Flight Attendant, Elle Fanning, The Great, Issa Rae, Insecure, and Gene Smart Hacks. I so have no her, horse in this race. I have a horse in this race, and it's Issa Rae. Really? Because that's the only show of all of these that I've watched. And I like Issa Rae a lot. She's great in that show. And it's also, it was the last season. So this is their last chance to mm-hmm. give it to her. So we'll see if they do that. I think Quinta Brunson might win, though. I think there's going to be a lot. Yeah, of I think she's probably going to have it elementary and she like wrote stars in that show. So I think they're definitely going to give like a personal recognition to her. Also, I think it's Quinta. Is it? Yeah. Quinta Brunson. Well, 
Miss <laughs> Brunson. Sorry about the mispronouncing of your first name, but I think it's Mrs. Brunson. No, I'm just kidding. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, okay. So yeah, we'll we'll see how that ends up playing out. Yeah. Now, do you want to keep going or do you want to just skip the rest? Uh, yeah, we can skip the rest. All of Succession is nominated for the supporting categories. Uh, is it Rhea or Rhea? We'll find out, I guess, when you correct me. But Rhea Seahorn, who plays Kim Wexler in Better Call Saul, this is her first time getting nominated. Yeah, I actually have no idea. I do. think it's Rhea, too. But yeah, that's crazy. Good for her. Mm-hmm. All right. Any other notable things in here? Nah, I guess we'll comment on the best writing ones when, when we do win. the report on the Emmy wins. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. All right, now, right before we get into our main topic, let's just quickly do our box office breakdown and our box office predictions, starting with the breakdown for July 8th to the 10th. Coming in first, unsurprisingly, Thor 11 Thunder made $144 million. That is the biggest Thor opening so far and is the third highest opening of the year. It is the sixth $100 million plus opening of 2022. Are you satisfied, Ryan? Are you satisfied? I do like that opening. I wish it would have been a bit bigger. Too bad. It is solid. It's strong. So we're going to see how it plays out. It's going to have good legs, but certainly it'll get high up there. It'll be among the Batman at the least. So it did well for me. I'm glad. We have in second place Minions The Rise of Gru with 46 million, bringing it over 200 million domestic and 400 million worldwide. Are you satisfied, Dylan? Are you satisfied? Yeah, I'm doing okay. I think it's decent enough. It's getting there. I wish. I also wish it was a little bit higher, but you know, you do with what you got. I mean, that's pretty good for it's pretty what good, it is. Yeah. I mean, for it's... an animated movie, yeah. I just wish it was a bit higher, but I wish all my movies were a bit higher. Well, that's what we all would wish. But I mean, yours is doing quite well. I mean, it's performing yeah. as the original Minions did, basically on the yeah. track with that, which is good. Indeed. And then after that was. Top Gun Maverick, of course, with 15 million. That means it's at 600 million domestic right now. Crazy! <laughs> it has 650 locked in and it is eyeing 700 million. That would place it in the top five domestic of all time. All time. Which would Everywhere. <laughs> all the times, Ryan. Well, of domestic times. But yeah, it probably will not cross 700 million, but never count out Top Gun Maverick. But certainly it'll get to 650 um, yeah so again crazy legs uh, an amazing run one of the best of the box office we've ever seen so absolutely not very exciting elvis 11 million in fourth place which is a 39 percent drop during the week it actually passed 100 million nice. so congrats to the king of rock and roll of rock and roll oh yeah oh, baby after that was jurassic world dominion with eight and a half million it is now at 350 million domestic 876 million worldwide it will most not most likely not cross one billy which sucks because it goes to premium video on demand this week so if people are going to buy it they're probably going to watch it at home indeed so they cut the legs out from under the dinos on this bastards Mm -hmm. next we have the black phone with 7.7 million lightyear with 3 million marcel the shell with shoes on 322,000. I kind of want to see that. Uh, Mr. Malcolm's List, 255,000. And running out the top 10, Doctor Strange, 245,000. And Everything Everywhere All at Once, 238,000. It kicked off the top 10 in its 16th week. That's 14 weeks in the top 10. That's crazy. 
Mm-hmm. Good so for yeah, them. that was instead of before there was Top Gun Maverick, we did have mm-hmm. our indie film that was having an amazing run Hell yeah. on a much smaller scale. So yeah, very impressive. Mm-hmm. Sad to Indeed. see it go, but yep. Unfortunate. We're going to go ahead and skip the box office predictions for today because there's Jack Squat coming out this weekend in terms of making money. We have Where the Crawdads Sing and Pause of Fury, which aren't going to make over $20 million each, probably. So it will do what it does. It will just be made, and it will make whatever money it makes, and then everybody will move on, and it won't really matter. Thor wow. has its second <laughs> weekend this weekend. That's the only thing that's important, and its drop will probably be close to half, if not a little over half, so it'll probably be around like $70 million, whatever. Now we can move on to our flick picks. Ryan, you picked these movies for me to watch. Before we go into each one of them, can you briefly describe for the audience why you picked these two movies, starting with Mud? I sure will. So I'll give some details. Mud, written and directed by Jeff Nichols. It also has, for a film like this, a relatively small film, it's got a pretty stacked cast. Matthew McConaughey, Tyler Sheridan, uh, Reese Witherspoon, Michael Shannon, Sarah Paulson, Sam Shepard. So crazy. Uh, in terms of its box office, it made 21 million domestic and 32 million worldwide on a 10 million budget. Uh, so a nice, solid little performance for this small film. Um, so why did I pick it? Well, the two of us read Matthew McConaughey's autobiography, Greenlight, and this film was talked about quite a bit in there. Even though it's one of his smaller works, you think you talk a lot about Magic Mike, Dallas Buyers Club, True Detective, Interstellar, all that stuff. The film that he talked about most lovingly was Mud because he said it's a film that he thinks his father would have really enjoyed and would have taken him to see mm-hmm. when he was younger. So for that reason, because we had both read his autobiography and that was featured a lot, that's what made me go see it. And I was like, I'll make sure Dylan is able to see it as well. And then I also thought it's a pretty unique take because it's taking place in rural Arkansas so it's got all this southern atmosphere going on mm-hmm. around it, um, which is fairly unique with coming-of-age films and just films in general. I mean, we don't get to see a lot of that. Um, although Where the Crawdad Sings, I guess, is going to try and bring that uh, this weekend at the box office, but I doubt it'll do it as well as this film did. And then the other thing I enjoyed about it was its exploration of this core theme where we have our main kid, Ellis, played by Ty Sheridan, Mm-hmm. who is losing his innocence and growing up and all this sort of stuff, as you would think of a coming-of-age film. But it's particularly about this idea of love and what that means. And it's, he's it's trying to figure love, that out. Ellis. It's always been about love. <laughs> I know, right? Matthew McConaughey, he loves that theme. So uh, He loves love. He does. So him trying to figure all that out, and it's told through three relationships, and they are ones that are rocky and failing. Um, and so I thought it was just an interesting angle to take with this coming-of-age film. So, yeah, that was the reasons that I chose it. So I'll turn it over to you to talk about your impressions, your very fresh impressions yep. of the film since you just watched it uh, not too long ago. Yep, I finished the movie exactly 40 minutes ago, and uh, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Uh, it definitely, I liked the beginning a lot more than when it started getting going, except for the end. I thought the end was great. Uh, I thought like the, just like the middle section was starting to like get a little lackluster on me, but that end was fantastic. In terms of like my first impressions of it, it's not, it's definitely not like a me kind of movie. Like it's not really my go-to pick. 
But for a movie that isn't something that I would think of as something that I would like, I still enjoyed it. Like I, even though it's not my kind of movie, I still had a lot of fun with it, which is impressive. Like to get that, to break that barrier and to, to punch into my heart. But, uh, I thought Matthew McConaughey was like the best part. Of course, I thought he was absolutely fantastic. He just embodies the character really, really well. And I couldn't picture anybody else playing mud as cheesy as that sounds. It's just like, he really goes all in on it and really sells this character, this like noble, uh, hillbilly character on the run from the police for a quote, uh, illegal and most likely immoral action, but with maybe moral justifications of like defending the woman he loves. And I mm-hmm. like the theme of love that carries through the film. And I like the way that they hammer that home with Ellis wanting to defend Mud's love because he can't defend his parents' love and his inability to uh, reconcile his own love for this girl, uh, Mary May Pearl. May Pearl, yeah. May Pearl. A lot of great names in yeah, this film. As there well. are good names, yeah. Yeah, Neckbone, May Pearl. I also, Good. while I was watching it, I found out the the woman who played May Pearl uh, passed away last year, which is very sad. That is sad. Yeah. But I don't know. I felt like it definitely got a little lackluster in the middle, probably around, I'm trying to remember where I started to kind of lose interest. It was like around the halfway mark, right when I had left for the gym. Everything that I came back after it was starting to get a lackluster on me until I got to that big action epic action action epic scene at the end where they're all shooting. Mm-hmm. But I just I thought the writing if I had to really hammer it down at one point, the writing definitely felt like something that you would like more than what I would like. It was very much like a you written kind of movie where you have a very specific theme that you're trying to tie into one individual specific theme and you're connecting all the characters to that theme and you're trying to uh, make every character fit into that puzzle very rigidly, very specifically in a very planned way. And it felt like definitely something that you would enjoy more. I'm more of a loosey goosey writer where I like having a couple different themes going on with a couple different characters tying into different themes and then trying to, trying to then, take all those cables and weave it in at the end instead of making one taut cable from start to end, if that makes sense. Taut. One taut cable. Taut I like cable. that word there, taut. Right. Like Just to elaborate on that. I mean, certainly, mm-hmm. I mean, there are films that deal with multiple themes that I very much enjoy. Of course. La La course. Land being one that also yeah. deals with love a lot, but then also dreams and ambition. Yeah. Um, but you are right in the sense of I do really gravitate towards films that are able to have every sort of character that is existing Mm -hmm. be serving that purpose of questioning this theme or exploring it or representing it in some way that stuff i just love so yeah this film it all does that every character is there Mm -hmm. is either someone that has lost their love or is trying to find their love or fighting for their love or whatnot so everyone is playing into that theme and is helping like ellis figure this out Mm -hmm. this whole idea of love and whatnot as he's trying to grow up so yeah, for sure, that element to it is the biggest part of why yeah. I enjoyed it so much. And to your other point of it getting a little slow at a certain point, 
I definitely think this is one of those films that you have to understand. It is going to be slow going. It's going to take its time. Trying it just to felt use. so well paced in the beginning. Like we're getting the perfect story beats at the perfect moments. And then after that halfway mark, it just kind of felt like we're watching Ellis. Like when we're watching Ellis and Neckbone just like grab items and bring them to mud and we're watching them. They would like go to the island, talk to mud, then go back and do something. Then go back to the island, talk to mud and go back and do something. It just kind of felt repetitive towards the middle. And then it became really fresh at the end. Like the the scene where they find uh, Juniper in the bar from then forward, I thought it was great. Gotcha. Because then you're like shaking up the dynamic, which I thought was very exciting. Mm-hmm. But gotcha. overall, like I thought it was very well done. Another thing that I think doesn't clash well with me is that I love very stylistic movies. And this is definitely a more naturalist movie, very much trying to embody itself in that environment, which I can appreciate. And I do really like the naturalism of the film and how they're really trying to portray that Arkansas wildlife very accurately. But I am definitely a very stylistic kind of guy. And this was very much just a, uh, let's put style to the side intentionally so that we can focus on the theme and the characters without getting distracting. But I definitely prefer films that have like a, either a heavy handed style or a very, even like a subtle style that knows its place. Gotcha. See, I think that points to another difference between you and I, certainly with films. I mean, I love style as well, but I think beyond that, I just enjoy being immersed and I love a very atmospheric film. And I think that can be achieved with a lot of stylism, depending on like what the story is, as long as it fits in with it, Mm -hmm. that can achieve that sort of atmospheric immersion. Yeah. This film, I think also is able to be very atmospheric because it does spend a lot of time as you said like being naturalistic it in the cinematography in the sound design and whatnot it really does try and put you in here like here on the river on the mississippi river yeah um, going around collecting items definitely, with these definitely. kids and whatnot so and again part of the pace that it ends up getting into where it's sort of slow and we have these long like meandering shots of us going across mm-hmm. the river in the boat yeah um, that stuff can I can see where like some people would get lost by that, but for me, that was part of the elements that were helping to build up this mm-hmm. atmosphere that sucked me in. Um, so yeah, I would agree there's not like any sort of flashy stylism at all, but I think they did make a very intentional uh, they did make very intentional efforts at trying to build up this atmosphere and put us into this specific world, which is yeah. rural riverside town in the south. and I think it did achieve that. At least for mm-hmm. me. I agree. It's like trying to build this atmosphere as accurately as you can within the film while still serving the larger purpose of telling a story. And like, I think they do that really, really well. I just definitely prefer like if you're going to go in that route of trying to build an atmosphere through the nature of it to do so in like a more stylistic way where it's not quite accurate, but more like hyper realistic of like trying to overshow the nature and overshow the the feeling that you're getting like like if you watch something like Brokeback Mountain like that first 40 minutes of it where they're just herding sheep for 40 minutes and it's awesome <laughs> like the the over intensity of that nature that the over intensity of like trying to embody that cold weather I feel like that works better for me because I feel like it's like it's not exactly what you're seeing it's what it feels like you're seeing 
which I like more. I feel like it's more atmospheric to me is getting that feeling rather than that actual sense of it. Cause like if, if you were to actually go and film in Montana, it wouldn't look like, like uh Brokeback mountain. But if you were to actually go to Montana and experience it, the feeling you get would be similar to the feeling you get watching Brokeback mountain, which I, I appreciate more coming from like a, a feeling of stylism kind of perspective, but I can respect what they're doing in mud of trying to accurately depict that Arkansas backwater town and to really immerse you in that river life. I can appreciate what they're trying to do with it. Gotcha. All right, let's jump into some specifics. So we will now get into spoilers. So if you haven't seen mud, go out and watch it. Uh, But yeah, for some specific things, you already talked about McConaughey. He was, his performance is great as was expected. I also wanted to mention this man is Jack. He has a shirt off like half the time in this movie and is built. He's looking good. I also think it's funny. His tooth is also Jack. Yeah, dude, he's fucked in the mouth. I kept looking at it like, is that what his actual teeth look like? Or is that a toothpiece? Like, I swear it's a toothpiece. It It had to have been. Yeah. Cause I was like, there's no way his tooth is that fucked in real life. But yeah, that was pretty funny. Uh, and then Ty Sheridan, so the kid who plays Ellis, I thought he was really, really good in this. I thought he was good. Yeah. Like He's his... not my favorite, because I'm very picky when it comes to kid performances. I just feel like, I don't know, I just expect them to be on par with the adults. I, I'm just very, 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 I have a very high bar for the kid actors. It's the same bar as the adult actors. They have to reach it. Gotcha. And uh, I, think I feel like Ty Sheridan it. was close. I feel like Ty Sheridan was close. I felt like it was like it was like an inch away from that bar for me. Not but that for might me. be because I'm watching Malcolm in the Middle right now and talk about high bar acting for kids. They're incredible what? in Malcolm in the Middle. They are sure. nailing that comedic timing since they were like 12. It's insane. Gotcha. Well, for me, Ty Sheridan did clear it with, you know, a long way between him and that bar because I thought he was phenomenal. He was very believable in the role and he had to hold down much of the film. I mean, he's in so much of it. Yeah. Uh, he's like the main character pretty much. Like I know it's named Mud, Mud, but he's really, it should have been called Alice. (laughs) Alice. Alice. Didn't quite have the same ring to it. Nope. (laughs) Much in the way, much in the same way, HUD, a similarly named film starring Paul Newman. Yeah. is called HUD, but the main character is not HUD at all. There's definitely a lot of similarities between HUD and MUD. Except MUD is a is a noble character who does wrong things. HUD is a immoral character who also does wrong things. <laughs> He's just a bad guy, turns out. Yeah. HUD sucks. Actually sucks. <laughs> HUD does suck. Have you Very seen true. HUD? Yeah. Yeah, that dude sucks. But Paul Newman's definitely... great, but that dude's the worst. He's a great performance in that film, but yeah, Hood is a schmuck for sure. We should definitely, for a flick pick sometime, have Hood. So it'd be fun to talk about. But yeah, we'll much see. in the same way, like the protagonist, I forget his name, but is the brother, younger brother mm-hmm. of uh, of Hood. Um, in this one, our protagonist is Ellis. He's the one that's learning about the world, going through all these actions, and Mud is one of the like centerpieces that helps him figure that out. Um, so I thought, yeah, he was great. Since he had to hold down a lot of the film. Yep. You didn't. So when he was crying and yelling at mud after he clocks him in the face and he's like, I thought that was his best lie. scene. I oh, thought that sure. was his best scene. 
and that's naturally, of course, because that's his most emotional scene. Like he is playing a character that's trying to be emotionally reserved because he's trying to be more masculine. I get that. And that is hard to come across as like uh, a phenomenal actor if you're intentionally playing a reserved character because emotion is where you get across that, you know, barrier of good and bad actors. And this is his emotional, most emotional scene where he punches mud in the face and starts crying. And I think he's fantastic in that scene. That is definitely reaching the bar. I feel like in the beginning of the movie, though, where they're doing a lot of like co- just brief talking conversations between him and uh, Neckbone, and they're just like talking and chilling and just having conversations. It definitely felt a little bit like I'm watching a kid act instead of watching an actor act. It, it wasn't like. Like it didn't feel like he was like embodying the character quite yet completely. And that might be a fault of the writing that I don't know the character yet. It might be, I don't know. I feel like it just didn't feel like I knew his character coming across right away. It just felt like another kid. But by the time I get to that punching scene, he's really good. He's really good in that scene. That was, that was, that was, that was blowing past the bar. Gotcha. Yeah. To me, again, I felt like he was believable throughout, even when it was just the talking scenes, even when Mm -hmm. it's just him, like looking and not saying anything, like when he saw uh, Juniper in the bar. Mm-hmm. You just that, see was that, good, that was a good. That was a good one prepped. too. Yeah, I like. And that. then, of course, when he has to do this big emotional climax of yelling at Mud, mm-hmm. where plenty of other kid actors definitely would have failed there, um, he was definitely able to make that believable. Make it. Yeah, he sold that. So, yeah, to me, I thought he was absolutely phenomenal in it. Um, but yeah, any other specific things about the film that you want to touch on or point out? Um, that's a good question. I felt like I like a lot of the conversations from a writing perspective, but the dialogue doesn't always stick it for me. Like, I understand the purpose of having that conversation where he mentions the snakes. Where they have that bit where he talks about snakes and he's like, uh, it's just one of those things where. You can feel the writing, like the fact that it's being written rather than feeling like it's something like that's a natural story that's happening. Like I can feel the setup of him knowing Tom and Tom knowing the boys and that being the thing that brings them all together so that they could have that thing at the end where they all fight the gang and then they escape. Like I feel that, that setup happening and I can feel the setup of the snakes happening. And it just feels like it's all just very convenient in the sense that of course it's convenient because it's a story being written by a human being who's making it up like right like i can feel that convenience about it it doesn't feel as natural in some moments but then in other parts it's like you are just focusing on the story at hand which is just trying to tell a story about love and you just happen to be doing it through this specific writing connection like it felt like this this might come back to my writing style versus your writing style which is my your writing style is you know trying to make those connections so you can get the theme across and it's very planned and very constructed to get that theme across but my writing style is very much i don't plan much i kind of write with the flow and how it goes is how it goes and i come up with new things as i'm writing and it's very much like just going with what's going to happen next so i feel like my writing sense comes off a little bit more flowing and natural whereas your writing sense comes off more well prepared and well set up but then sometimes that setup especially in mud just comes through a little too strong. And then I feel the writing ju- like jutting out from this very naturalistic film. 
Like I can feel the setup. I can be like, this is setup that's happening. It's kind of taking me out of it. Gotcha. With the, again, I don't think it's bad setup. I think the story works and I think the setup that they're doing is good. I just feel like it becomes a little heavy handed at some point. Well, yeah. Sometimes you can just sense yeah. like the Chekhov's gun and whatnot. Where yeah. Not that like, it's bad setup. It's come. just a little much setup. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, all right. Any other last minute comments? I liked it. I had a good time. I thought it was fun. I thought it was well written. I thought it was well directed. I just didn't think it was like my favorite movie ever. I just had, I just liked it. I just thought it was good. Gotcha. Yeah. Final thoughts from me. Yeah. Pointing on the, like the whole love theme is definitely a major one. For sure. Uh, but yeah, this is one also, I think, in a much less obvious way, it tries to explore themes of masculinity and male role models and father figures. Because mm-hmm. there's so many, I mean, there's Mud who has Tom as the, his father figure. Mm-hmm. And then you have, Ellis, who has both his actual father, but then also Mood. Mud as a role model father figure. And they're both presenting like different masculine ideals. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Galen as well. For Nick, Nick Bone, who's not his actual father, but is obviously stepping into that role. So, yeah, I think it also explores that stuff in interesting ways. Um, and yeah. then, of course, the ending, the hopeful endings that we get where Ellis mm-hmm. in his new home, he's at a leave behind the river house. He's in this new home, a new apartment, but he gets away from a girl and that is a hopeful, optimistic outlook on so his experience with these like three failing relationships, mm-hmm. his parents, Mud and Juniper, and his own little relationship with May Pearl hasn't crushed him entirely. He's still going mm-hmm. to get that chance at love again and pursue that and still believe in that. So I thought that was great. And then it's love, Ellis. Love will find a way. <laughs> exactly. And then mud and tom at the mouth of the river at the very very end yep we get to see and that was a great little shot as well of him like taking in the sun um, yeah. and looking that, out at that the last shot yeah wide open expanse of the river and it's mirroring all the opportunities that are now available to him since mm-hmm. he's free at yep. last he's able to move forward put juniper and that whole relationship in the past having finally let her go they were able to have that nice send off where they wave at each other um, at the hotel so he's finally able to put that obsession to rest move forward and again that's a hopeful little ending for a film that for the most part mm-hmm. was about crushing Ellis and beating him down and having all these jaded cynical men be like wow this all sucks um, yeah so yeah another oh movie? another critique I have just real quick I didn't like the use of King in it the the dead man's dad I felt like yeah. they build him up very strongly to be this like like threatening presence, but Carver's already doing that really well. And we barely see King at all. Like King has two scenes. It's the scene where we first meet him and he, he like huddles with the guys and prays that mud dies. And then the scene where he just finds out that Carver's dead. And I'm like, you could just cut him out and have Carver be that antagonist without having to create the larger antagonist who doesn't serve a purpose, who has no arc and who has no, uh, I mean, I guess he has the consequence of Carver dying and he learns that lesson, but I feel like, I don't know, maybe he was trying to touch on a theme of vengeance. Like, I think like the consequence probably... of vengeance, but it, it it's not doing it enough to where I'm like, you could just axe that theme and just have Carver be an antagonist. Right. I think it was probably trying to touch on another dimension of the like masculinity thing. And mm-hmm. like, oh, I was wronged in order to prove like my masculinity, my domination. I need to make sure that 
this is resolved and this, that the person who wronged me is ended, basically. Yep. So but there I think were, it could be a some sort of commentary on that. But I agree, that's not like the strongest part of the film. The it's just like they were already aspect. doing that with Carver. The introduction yeah. of King seemed kind of useless. I feel like maybe there were more scenes with him that maybe got cut out because that's kind of what it felt like because he just was so built up almost and because he was like, he's literally the devil and stay away from him. And then we just never even see him. Like if he's right. going to be literally the devil, let him be literally the devil. Give him more scenes where he's an actual evil person. Mm-hmm. But he's not. Gotcha. And it's just it's what it is. But right. anyway, how many Her... backwater right. broken hearts? You okay? Did your did your audio get all fucked up? No, I was just stunned that you you were the one doing the rating. I'm supposed to ask you the rating. All right, fine, this is fine. The film that... So Dylan, how many backwater broken hearts out of five? I'm going to give it a four. Do you actually believe in that, or are you giving it because you don't want to hurt my feelings by giving it a 3.5? I was between a 3.5 and a 4, but I feel like I've been critiquing it a lot. But honestly, I did like it. Like, I really did have a good time, and I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to, and I thought it was a well-made movie. So I earnestly give it a 4. If if it wasn't, like, as a whole, like, when I nitpick it, it definitely feels like a 3.5, but when I look at it as a whole, when I take a step back and I look at the whole thing put together as one big movie, I still enjoy it. And I have a feeling of, like, I enjoy watching this and I would watch it again. So I'm going to give it a 4. Gotcha. All right. I give what it would a you... 4.5. Oh, wow. That makes I sense. I feel like you yeah. do like it just a bit more than me. For yeah, obvious for reasons. Sure. It's more akin to your style. Agreed. And yeah, as you said, it's not perfect. There are things about it that like yeah the villain aspect to me is probably the weakest part of it for sure but there were a lot of great scenes that had emotional heft again the whole theme aspect the way everything was tying into that the performances all of that stuff the atmosphere that it's able to create i liked it all so yeah solid 4.5 for me yep okay let's get into my second pick speed a 1994 film directed by, I didn't put it in here. I think it's John DeBost. Jan DeBost. Jan DeBost. Uh, written by Graham Yost. There's also some assistance from Joss Whedon on Weird. the like, line edits on the dialogue. There was a, uh, a quote from Graham Yost who said every dialogue was written by Joss Whedon. I don't know how accurate that is, but <laughs> it can't that'd be, be nuts. that accurate. Because there's some pretty bad dialogue in here. <laughs> yeah, he wanted to uh, some rough put ones. the blame on him. <laughs> That's very true. Uh, it is starring Keanu Reeves, Sandra Bullock, Dennis Hopper, Jeff Daniels, to name the principal cast. It's box office. It got 121 million domestic, 350 million worldwide on a 30 million budget. I can't believe that budget was only 30 million dollars. Like even for 94, that seemed incredibly low for the result that they got. They blew up a plane. I know, and it was a great explosion too. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, I guess the bulk of it takes place on a bus, so you can pretty much shoot around it to save a pretty good amount of budget but it still seemed like they were doing a lot for 30 million they really stretched that budget to the max they did and it, that would be like what adjusting for inflation like probably like 50 or 60 million not even um, maybe it's probably not more even than 60 million you think i think more? definitely more than 60 million oh, that um, is inflation jesus yeah it's, it's real it bad but a huge return on investment there massive film um, so why was this film picked for two major reasons I think it's a great showcase on delivering on a premise and getting a lot of that fun in games that comes with 60 million. I was right. There you go. And the escalation of obstacles. I think this is a great showcase and just 
how do you raise the stakes? Absolutely. How do you keep having things go wrong and things get worse and bigger obstacles come up? And how do you have the characters deal with that? I think it's an amazing showcase of that. So that's the reason why I picked it. Now let's turn it over to you, Dylan, for your impressions on this film. Now I've said it before, and I will say it again now, that my favorite genre of film is when you take an ordinary guy, maybe a cop or something like that, just an ordinary guy, and you make him a hero in an extraordinary situation that takes place in a mostly singular location. So we're talking about Die Hard. We're talking about The Rock. We're talking about Air Force One. We're talking about White House Down. We're talking about Die Hard 2. We're talking about Die Hard 3 with a vengeance. And I had never seen Speed. And of course, Speed has been described a lot as Die Hard on a Bus. That is the, the classic pitch. Mm-hmm. And I'd never seen it. And you attest to it being fantastic. Yes. So I was very excited to watch this because this is my favorite genre ever. Just epic action, awesomeness, killer. And, and I fucking loved it. Yes. It was fantastic. <laughs> they really, really escalated everything constantly just taking the next step and the next step and the next step. I mean, it's absolutely insane. What's more crazy is that they really did a good job not making it feel like it was genuinely die hard on a bus because only half the movie takes place on a bus. There's a whole first 30 minutes that takes place in a whole different sequence. And then there's a second 30 minutes at the end that has another sequence. And only that middle hour is, is the whole bus sequence, but it's still, you know, as much as it is the bus movie, it, it, it definitely packs in a lot of action elsewhere while also delivering really well on some cool bus jumps and bus stunts. Like <laughs> it's, it's awesome. It's crazy. Like they come up with a concept, the basic concept of there is a bomb on a bus. And if it goes lower than 50 miles an hour, it explodes. It's a very, very simple, very, very simple concept. And if you were an amateur writer, you would approach it very simply. You would write a very simple, simple, screenplay and it will be boring but the screenwriter or screenwriters if you include Joss Whedon when approaching this they ask questions they're like okay if it's if it has to go up like if it first has to get to 50 mile an hour to turn on the bomb then can't dip below it how are we going to get the bus to get up to 50 miles an hour if Keanu Reeves is telling it to stop then if it's going 50 miles an hour how is Keanu Reeves going to get on the bus then Mm -hmm. if Keanu Reeves is on the bus and can't go below 50 miles an hour how are we going to get people off the bus then if the people have to get off the bus, but he doesn't want them to get off the bus, and it's very clear that he can see them still on the bus, how are they going to get off the bus if the bomber can see them still on the bus? Like, he's asking every question. It's like a chess game he's playing with himself, with these two characters, of there is only one way out of this. How are you going to make that next move to get there? And it's just fucking fucking a masterpiece. Like, <laughs> you set that up with that opening sequence of the elevator stuff. Are we going to get into spoilers now? Uh, sure. So we'll go into okay. spoilers. So spoilers, you set that stuff up with the elevator sequence in the beginning where you have this guy, he's a bomber. He's just wants money. He's a crazy guy. He has people trapped in a building and if they are in an elevator and if they try to get off, he blows the emergency brake. If, if they try to break them out, he blows the emergency brake. If he doesn't get his money that he blows the emergency brake. And it's pretty abundantly clear that no matter what's going to happen, he's probably going to blow the emergency brake. So these people are going to die no matter what. And so Keanu Reeves is like, okay, we just got to get them out. How are we going to get around the fact that they will, he will know if these people are trying to get out and he'll blow the emergency brake. Well, what if there's another way to stop the elevator from falling, even if he does blow the emergency brake? You're taking away that piece of leverage he has, which is if the emergency brake blows, the elevator will fall. If you take that piece out of the equation, as he says in the movie, 
you eliminate that as an option and you save the day. It's the same thing as shoot the hostage. The hostage is the leverage. If you get rid of the leverage, they have nothing. So shoot the hostage, which is funny that he does that in that scene too. I love that. <laughs> I love that yeah. setup of them having a conversation about shoot the hostage, how that applies to the elevator situation that they're doing, and then how later he has to actually shoot the hostage, which is Jeff Daniels. I think that's very funny. Indeed. Then you take that. It's a very simple, like, like I love how in the elevator sequence they have that bit where they're like, let's propose a very simple uh, uh, scenario where there's a guy escaping to a plane and he has a hostage. What do you do? And then they apply it to the situation they're having. And at the same time, you have a relatively simple situation where you have people trapped on an elevator and you apply that to the more complicated situation of people trapped on a speeding bus. You like you're elevating it yet, yet again, but you're still applying that same lesson you learned from the elevator sequence into this new sequence, which is just amping up the the degrees of craziness mm-hmm. by putting them on this moving bus. It's insane. It's crazy. It's crazy <laughs> the, the shit that happens in this movie. They're on an elevator. They're on a bus. They're later. They're on the metro train, and everything crashes. Everything blows up. Everything explodes. It's absolutely nuts. The acting is like really good for you know, what it is, which is an action movie. You know, you, right. you don't you don't expect much going in, but it's still better than nothing. The ADR is really terrible, which is fun to watch. Uh, it's just, it's just action packed. There's also, as much fun as it is to watch these characters just have a chess match, there's not really any character arcs. They don't really agree with that. go through anything. They're just characters that have a background and they're thrown into this crazy and extreme situation and they have to just deal with it. And I I go back and forth because you look at things like Die Hard where there are definitely character arcs. And then you look at things like this or like Air Force One where there aren't really character arcs. It's just really, really good action in a really crazy scenario. And they both work really well. I think I still prefer the Die Hard method of still giving it a character arc while focusing mostly on the action. Because it, it creates more weight and it has a more satisfying conclusion. Because you like you watch it and you watch the end of Speed and you're like, man, that was just a really good action movie. When you watch Die Hard and you watch the conclusion, you're like, wow, that was just a really good movie. Like through and through the way it was written, the arc that the character goes through. Like every, there's so many better things to pick apart. But in this one, you know, putting that to the side and just focusing on the action is still wildly entertaining and incredible to watch. And I just. I loved it. I thought it was really well done. I thought the action was awesome. I thought the stakes were like up there. At any point, I thought any character could die. And if you can make a movie where you think any character could die, that is an exciting movie because then anything could happen. Like if you're making an action movie, that is. If you're making a comedy and any character could die, that's kind of scary. <laughs> but yeah, like when you're making an action movie and anything could happen and you know anything could happen, that's when you're on the edge of your seat. It exactly. gets bland when you're watching like a superhero movie and you're like, I know the superhero is not going to die, so I don't need to be worried about him. But in this one, you have this is the advantage that I think slow action movies have is that a character, any character could die at any moment because there's no promise of a franchise. There's no promise of a, a future to the series. There's nothing of that like they, they could die. They, Keanu Reeves could have died at any point. Right. And then they would have that would have just been another obstacle added onto it that they have to then deal with. Now, the passengers are alone without Keanu Reeves. And you have to deal with that. I didn't think he was going to die. I was pretty confident he would live to the end because that's how all these movies go. But still, it could have happened. Mm-hmm. Plenty of people died in the movie. Actually, that's not even true. Like five people died in the movie, but it's still like anything could happen. Any one of them could die. 
and those stakes were there. And that was very exciting for me. Awesome. Yeah, to your point about the not having character arcs at all, agreed, it absolutely doesn't. And there are, I think the ideal film would have those character arcs in them because as you said, for all the reasons you point out, there's just something satisfying to having that emotional arc and being able to invest in a character that is able to change over the course of the events of the film. However, I don't think every single film needs that in order to be a great film because for certain reasons, whether there's other aspects to it that are just so well done that not having a character arc is negligible at that point. Mm. This is one of those films where I think it's able to do that. Like the, it's so entertaining without it that exact, you don't really need it. Yeah, because it's one of, as you said, it's like an every man sort of situation. This random guy who could just be... It's very Hitchcocky in a way. Exactly, yeah. I was about to point that out. That's his whole deal. You specified it to they're in like one primary location. Like yeah, when Hitchcock's you amp it up, yeah, it's very sprawling, globetrotting and whatnot. But when you really narrow it down and you make it a single location... It definitely amps up the tension because it's it's pretty much in real time. It's still a, a single man dealing with a like a dangerous and stressful situation. And then you give him just enough skill, like a police officer or uh, I guess the military trained president of the United States and Air Force One. You give him just <laughs> enough training to where it's believable that they will, could win in the situation. And then you just amp up the stakes. So it's like there's no way that they can get through it unless they do it this one very specific move to get there and then they do it and you're like this is so impressive like Keanu Reeves in this movie has just enough training to where you can believe that he can successfully do the things he does but it's incredibly risky that he's still doing it mm-hmm. him jumping from the car to the bus he could probably do it but it would be difficult so he doesn't like make the land he lands hard and so his legs are dangling out and he needs to be lifted into it and him uh, laying on the cart and sliding under the bus to work on the on the uh, uh, bomb. Obviously, that's not going to go well. He's moving at over 50 miles an hour on a little cart thing, and there's debris everywhere. The debris hits him. Of course, it goes haywire, and he's not able to get out of that on his own. Like The people have to get in there and help him out because he's just a guy. Right. They make him mortal. He's not like a god like John Wick or like, uh, like, like the Brad Pitt's character in Bullet Train when we see that. He's not an overly trained assassin or anything. He's just a dude, but he's still doing incredible things in a realistic way. And that's so exciting. And it's not something we see very often in movies these days. If it's an action movie, it's either it's either a superhero movie or it's a movie where the character is like a hyper trained assassin who has to do this awesome action sequence, which in its own right is still great. John Wick is awesome. Bullet Train is going to be awesome. Everybody go see Bullet Train. But <laughs> we haven't seen since I think White House Down probably, a good action movie where it's just a normal average guy dealing with an extraordinary situation with like very moderate training, like very moderate realistic training. He's still just a normal guy who has slightly above average skills in what he's doing rather than being a god who is an action hero. Right. And I miss that. I miss those movies. They're so thrilling. Agreed, yeah. And this one... As you pointed out, I mean, it does that super well. And then also just the way that they're able to organize the escalation of the obstacles. Mm -hmm. I mean, as you said, we understand exactly what's going to happen. We're on a bus. It cannot go below 50 miles an hour. And so how do you make that interesting for the entire hour that we're on that bus? How do you keep raising those stakes? And they do it so well. Like everything that you 
would immediately expect to happen. What if they hit a traffic jam? That happens. But then other other crazy things as well, like, oh, there's somebody on this bus who's, I guess, a criminal and doesn't want to get caught. And so he's got a gun and accidentally goes off and shoots the driver. Perfect. So now we got to think about getting him off. It's also great because now you have Sandy Bullock in the driver's seat, an inexperienced bus driver, which amps up the stakes, you know? Exactly, yeah. So that works. That works incredibly well, having those stakes ramped up. And then also because, again, she's just a regular person, an everyday person that could be caught Mm -hmm. up in this mess. Um, And so we're seeing through her, someone who doesn't have any sort of like tactical training that at least Keanu Reeves does, and she has to help get us out of this mess. So things like that work really well. Things like we got to make a turn, but this is a hard turn and we got to remain above 50 miles an hour. So we got to have everybody get to one side of the bus so we don't tip over. That stuff was great. Getting onto a highway, but uh uh-oh, it's not finished. And then how do we deal with that? Then they got to speed up and make it over the ramp or over the gap, which definitely would not have happened. The gap and the way that it was inclined, no way the bus would have made it. But it was still fun just to see that happen and them land um, and hoot and holler afterwards. So yeah, all that stuff. Mm. way that they're able to just keep having these crazy things it's basically just murphy's law anything that can go wrong will go wrong yep applying that to whatever your situation is i think Mm -hmm. is just a great lesson to take away absolutely screenwriters or anyone that is interested in stories at all that is what helps make it so Mm -hmm. interesting so entertaining and invests us even if there's no like amazing profound character arc that's going on we're still Mm -hmm. fully in tune to the the film that's playing out so yeah fantastic stuff yeah uh one last thing i'm very sad that jeff daniels dies i thought his I character know. was cool i thought he was nice i thought they had a good dynamic going and i thought he was really gonna go get the bad guy but of course they have to amp the sticks up again and uh he bites the dust and it's very sad that was very especially because they have that whole thing in the beginning where you think jeff daniels is gonna die but then keanu Reeves saves the day and then they talk about Jeff Daniels has the whole thing in the bar where he's like, you can't do anything risky anymore or you can't always do risk because risk will only be so good until it isn't. And then you'll be dead. And he talks about his wife and how he needs to be with his wife and things like that. And then he still dies in the end. It makes me sad. I know. Those are I really rough. liked his character. That was the roughest death. For sure. Like, and I'd also, the other two other deaths I want to talk about, but one, the hysterical woman that was trying to get off. Yeah. And then it just the like stairs to the bus blow out and she gets dragged under the wheels. Yeah, that's rough. Crazy as well. I was like, oh my God, that was hardcore. And then I really liked as well uh, a nice actual emotional character moment afterwards where Sandra uh, Bullock is all like relieved of that happening Mm -hmm. of the whole bus not getting destroyed because of uh, her trying to get off. Yeah. But she's guilty about it. it, Yeah. Yeah. And so Keanu has to like walk her through those feelings. I think that was really interesting as well yeah to spend some time on that the other thing i want to bring up is yet again in the 90s action film we see richard schiff get brutally killed <laughs> and i'm like i want to this poor man he just yeah. can never survive a gets ripped apart by two t-rexes in the lost world b gets shot to death as a train driver in <laughs> speed we gotta we gotta watch more 90s richard schiff movies see how else he gets brutally killed Apparently, I mean, man, yeah, he's just a death. He's over over two, bro. That's rough. <laughs> For real. Um, yeah. Any other 
things. Oh, there was, so talking about the dialogue, mm-hmm. one line that I think was good was when the gasoline starts leaking from the bus and Keanu comes mm-hmm. up and says that. And Sandra goes, what, you thought you needed another challenge or something? Yeah, I, that I like that. Uh, a line that was just awful. And I cannot believe that Joss Whedon or Graham Yost thought that that was a good idea. And then everyone else at, in the production. When Keanu on the train, when he decapitates the de- the the villain guy, the bomber, mm-hmm. and he goes, well, I'm taller. I was like, what? Let me tell you. Let what? me tell you something about that. There are lines that are good. And there are lines that are bad. And there are lines that are so bad that it's kind of funny and you laugh because, you know, it's it's just ironically terrible. And then there are lines that are so, so bad that it goes past being funny and it's just really, really bad bad again. (laughs) And this is one of those lines where I watched it and I was like, I can't believe you made this awesome, epic action movie. And then you bookend it with this horrible, horrible line that's supposed to be it's literally supposed to be the epic line that ends the movie. Mm-hmm. All of these movies have that line. I think my favorite one is the one on. Uh, uh, I don't think Die Hard has one. That's just because it was like the first. But my favorite one is from Air Force One. And I'm not going to say it because I don't want to spoil it. But you probably have already heard it anyway. But I don't want to say it because it's just epic. Yeah. <laughs> just save it. So I'll say it. can hear it yeah. for the first time and be amazed. Yeah, but yeah this one definitely <laughs> is not on the list of any amazing action hero lines. It was just so dumb. Well, I'm talking... It doesn't even make sense. It doesn't make sense. Like, you're in a tight space. It doesn't matter how tall you are if you're pushing a dude's head up to get, like, decapitated. Also, if you're taller, then you're the one being decapitated, not him. Exactly, yeah. You're you're saying at least I'm taller because you just took off, you know, a good foot of his body by cutting off his head? I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. So dumb. So dumb. Because I liked all the pop quiz stuff. I thought that was like clever or at yeah, least like dumb quiz, enough to where it's like it's cheesy and it's funny. But this was just bad. You should have said pop quiz and then done a pun about heads. That would have been far better. I don't yeah. know why why this was left in. It was very, very disappointing to see that. Uh, one other thing that I thought was great was the when they had to go into the actual city. They had to get off the highway. Mm-hmm. Now they're in the city. And then you see the baby stroller. <laughs> going oh, across yeah. the street mm-hmm. and you're like oh no and then they hit it and you <laughs> and go just, oh no i know you're and she's freaking out and this is a great i scene. was freaking out too i was like oh man they're gonna narrowly miss that that baby store and then they hit it <laughs> and i went oh fuck <laughs> they actually fucking hit it and like it takes like it, it's a good beat of the, like the thing flying through the air and i'm like oh fuck who's gonna catch the fucking baby it's gonna <laughs> fucking splat and die and then the cans go over, and I was like, "God damn it! Who the fuck put cans in a the fucking can. baby cart?" Well, yeah, and you also see Christ. she was like running at them instead of yeah. like going after the baby that was hurling through the air. So you knew, okay, maybe something's off about it. But yeah, then she's still freaking out. Sandra Bullock's like, "Oh my god, I hit the baby! I hit the baby!" And then, and then Henry goes, "Cans, cans! <laughs> it was cans! He just oh, says, it was cans!" Like if someone was, if I was in that state, like the most hysterical you would possibly be, thinking you, you thought just you killed a child, a baby at 50 plus miles an hour with a bus yeah and someone's yelling cans i would not someone's know in, what is going yeah, on bro someone's in your going cans cans <laughs> it's just like that does not help and also the thing was great keanu was like trying not to laugh like they were about to break in that scene and he's just yelling cans it was just yeah. cans i think he did laugh <laughs> he did he was like smiling he was right it's okay smile. it works with the character i liked it <laughs> i guess it does yeah 
That yeah. was a great scene. I really love that. Anyway, that's all I got on speed. Speed. All right. Well, how many high speed pop quizzes out of five? I just don't think, unfortunately, I could ever give a movie that has zero character arcs as awesome as it is a full five just because it doesn't have a satisfying ending as satisfying as it could be. So I'm going to give it a 4.5. As a counterpoint, there is at least a change in, I would suppose, the romantic arc where they were not together. Now they are together at the end. So mm. a change occurs. It's not an internal character change. No, it's not. They enough. do get together. You don't think that's because you could have weaved in an arc for at least Keanu's character to go through of being like this hot shot. Uh, risk-taking guy he still to being, has to like risk take in order to get out of these situations but like in that last half hour that past the bus stuff maybe he makes a more reserved decision that ends up saving the day but no he's like we're gonna full send the train it's Which the only want. solution it made no sense they're like we're gonna jump the tracks i feel like the same thing would happen because they just followed the tracks all the way up to whatever it was also if you like can speed exit. it up can you not slow it down yeah, why wouldn't you have been able to just slow it down or just go at the same speed? Because, like, I know you can't end up in hit the, the brakes, but can't you just slow it down to, like, I don't know, 10 miles an hour so it hits something and then just stops? Right. But again, the way that it doesn't went, quite make sense. It but, of course, they like, have to end on an epic action thing. Exactly. But it seems like it would have also just worked if they just kept going at the same speed and they just... I think it would have made more sense if instead happened. of, like, instead of, like, yeah, instead of pushing it, he like, maybe he goes and he breaks off the handle. He's like, oh, I can't do it. Pop quiz, what are we doing? The train's going to hit something and I can't get you out. We just hit it. And then he like tries to save her and you can't. I don't know. I guess that just would have made more sense than him just full sending it for no reason. Yeah, that didn't. I don't know why that seemed like yeah. a good idea. Also, yeah. I was a little disappointed by the model work of that train at the end because it was very clearly a model. Like they blended some blended the modeling well, but it still was like, I can tell that's a model. Hey. If you look at things like the fugitive and you watch the train crash and that that is like 100 percent a model and it's fucking awesome right but they had to stretch Wait. the 30 million they already stretched it too thin so maybe i'm wrong maybe the fugitive is an actual train that they just crashed <laughs> and that's why i remember reading so that somewhere <laughs> that, that might be why it looks so good i can't remember if it's a model or if it's an actual train because i remember reading somewhere because i know they definitely had like the, the crane trash the train crash was like a real train laid out on the dirt that they really built out and i was like maybe they actually just crashed it because it was like a, a defunct uh, railroad that nobody was using anyway. So they were just like, let's just crash a train on it. Mm -hmm. I can't even remember. But nonetheless, it looked amazing. Gotcha. All right. So how many? Oh, you already gave 4.5. Four yeah. What about you? Interesting. I also give it 4.5. Hell yeah. Yeah. The reason is because the train stuff towards the end. I don't know. I feel like if. It, it was lackluster compared to the bus. Yeah. And they just lopped off the train stuff. It's just like I, mean, I liked the buildup of like them having to do that last half hour where they're doing the transaction and then they they chase him down. But then the train action sequence itself wasn't like a sell for me. Right. Yeah. It wasn't it was as good of an action. It's just like it's like of the three action sequences you have in here, that's definitely the worst. And it's sad that you ended on the worst. For sure. Yeah. You could and have done it more. To... It could have just been a straightforward chase and it would have been cooler. Right. It's hard to top all the bus stuff. Oh, that's so, so good. amazing. Yeah. So yeah, it would. It's hard to try and one up that. And again, they tried yeah. to do it again of like, oh, now they're on a speeding mm -hmm. train, and, but it just didn't work mm -hmm. quite as well. Yep. Uh, same thing for I guess the sequel when they had yep. to go on a ship, mm -hmm. on a boat. Yeah. But yeah, so four point five for me, four point five from you, 
So I've got a four and a 4.5 for me and a two 4.5s for you. Those are pretty good movies. Those are pretty good picks, Ryan. Thanks. Pretty good picks. Now I have a surprise for you. Okay, go for it. We haven't planned the exact date, but we know within the next few months we're going to be doing another flick pick. Oh, you're going to reveal I pick movies for you, and I'm going to tell you the two movies that I picked. I I thought about it well last night, and I want to give you enough time to where you can watch them when you want to watch them, and so I can also watch them when I want to watch them. Because I'm going to rewatch them, but I'm ready. The first one is the one you knew was going to come. You knew it's I was going to do it. But you have to, I assume, Brokeback Mountain at some point is going to come my way. Have you not seen Brokeback Mountain? No, but that's the one oh, that you... fuck. I'm sorry. I think I might have accidentally <laughs> spoiled some of it earlier in the episode. Because I thought I you had already seen it. I mean, I just talked well, about I the scenery, think... I guess. But Yeah, you just talked about scenery. I don't think my bad. Also, I, think I, I realize you ended. hadn't seen it. Maybe I would have picked that, but I'm not going to pick it. Because I already have my picks. What do you think I'm going to pick as the one that I, I've been waiting for you to watch? Well, I don't know because there's, kind of quite a few that we talked about. Come like, on, what's oh, the one that I always want you to watch? Give me a hint. Is it recent or is it? Yeah, you know, it was like a year old, maybe, maybe two. I think it was last year. A year old. I think it was last year. You didn't watch it. The French Dispatch. What is it? No, you haven't seen the French Dispatch either. <laughs> the fuck, Ryan? I mean, oh, it's the. Uh... The Mitchells versus Machines. Yeah, it is, baby. My first pick for you is The Mitchells versus The Machines. It'll be easy to watch. It's on Netflix. And you are going to fucking love it. The reason I picked this one is because I know you're going to love it. It's the same reason you picked Speed. Is I know for sure you're 100% going to love The Mitchells versus The Machines. Gotcha. And I All need right. you to watch it. I My will second pick, do it. in the vein of Speed, Okay. I wanted to pick a movie that was very action-y, very action-packed, Mostly singular location and featured an everyday man thrust into an extraordinary situation. One that you had not seen before mm-hmm. that I thought you would also really like. I think you would think Air Force One is decent. I think you would think White House Down is decent, but I don't think you would love them. I right. think the one that you would love is The Rock with Nicolas Cage. Oh, yeah. You mentioned that. And Sean Connery. Directed by Michael Bay. I think you're gonna love it. So that is my second pick. It's the Mitchells versus the Machines and The Rock. All right, there we go. I look forward to watching them and then I look discussing forward to rewatching them. All right, that is all the time we have. If you'd like to give your thoughts on the show, you can email us at theboxofficeshow at gmail.com and make sure to give us five stars on whatever podcasting platform you are listening to this on, whether it's Spotify or Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts or iHeartRadio podcast, or whatever it is you're listening to this on, give us five stars. And Please. be sure to go follow us on Letterboxd at The Box Office Show. We are now yeah. over on Letterboxd. So yeah, you can follow along to some of our reviews of films we talk about on here. I think we should try to incorporate also some films that we just happen to watch that we might not end up talking about at all. Very true. But yeah, our main title theme for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDave. Be sure to have a good rest of your week. Make sure to come back next week. Have a good one.